This morning's scripture is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said then, He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I've always been a sucker for a good detective story. When I was was growing up at our house, we had the complete works of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and I used to read the stories of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson over and over again. I love Agatha Christie's detectives, Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot. I love to say Hercule Poirot. Isn't it fun to say Hercule Poirot? My family, when I was growing up, had a VHS tape of, of the movie Clue with Tim Curry, and I wore that thing out until it wouldn't play anymore. I love I love a good detective story, and so I was really excited about this week's movie. I was, I was really looking forward to going to a good, old-fashioned detective story, and this, this movie didn't let me down even a little bit. It had everything that you want in a good detective story, right? So, so of course, there was a mysterious death. At the beginning of this week's movie, Knives Out, we we discover that a famous mystery writer has died under mysterious circumstances. And and the famous detective Benoit Blanc suspects that there has been foul play. And of course, there's a great big mansion filled with suspects. And as the detective interviews all of the suspects, we discover that that nobody's really telling the truth and everybody had a a motive for murder. And there are, are clues and there are plot twists and and we try to figure out the mystery before the detective does, and it's a whole lot of fun, just like these movies are are supposed to be. I was really excited this week to go to see a good, old-fashioned, Agatha Christie-style murder mystery detective movie, and I loved this movie. But here's the thing that surprised me about this movie. 
Here's the thing that I didn't expect, the thing that I didn't see coming. It turns out that this movie actually wasn't about all of that stuff. This movie wasn't really about the the mysterious death. It wasn't about the famous detective. What this movie was really about was a woman named Marta. So at the beginning of of the movie, we we meet this woman named Marta. We learn that she is an immigrant, and she has worked hard to create a life for herself, and she is working hard to support her family. Marta has become a nurse, and she takes care of this famous writer in his great big mansion surrounded by his children and his grandchildren. We discover that Marta and this famous mystery writer have got this beautiful friendship. Every night they play board games together and this writer, he confides in her, says things to her he doesn't even say to his own family members. He has an affection for her that he doesn't have even, even for his own family members. Maybe because his children and his grandchildren are terrible people. They are entired, entitled and, and spoiled and, and mean people, especially they're entitled and spoiled and mean to Marta. They say the most awful things to Marta. They treat her in the most, the most terrible way. Marta is always there whenever the family gathers because, of course, she is, is taking care of this mystery writer. And the, the children and the grandchildren in the family are always saying to Marta things like, you know we consider you to be one of the family, but in everything else that they say, and everything else that they do, they make it clear that they don't see her as part of the family. They don't see her as equal to them. They see themselves as above her and her as being beneath them. They do the most horrible things to Marta. One of the running jokes in the movie is that nobody in the family can actually remember what country Marta immigrated from. And sometimes they even forget that Marta is standing there, that she's in the room. They get into arguments about immigration policy and immigration and they talk about Marta and her family. Sometimes while Marta is standing there in the room as if she isn't even there, they say the most horrible and insulting things right in front of Marta. They treat her in this this terrible way. And then comes the big plot twist. And I don't feel bad about sharing this with you today, even if you haven't seen the movie. Because this, of all of the plot twists in the movie, this is far and away the easiest twist to see coming. So when the famous mystery writer has died, everyone gathers together for the reading of the will. And that's when the family members, the children and the grandchildren of the mystery writer are shocked to discover that this mystery writer has left everything, the fortune, the mansion, the publishing company. He has left everything he has, not to his children and his grandchildren, but instead he has left everything he owns to Marta, his nurse. The the children and the grandchildren are shocked and appalled. They spend the rest of the movie struggling to wrap their heads around the change in their circumstances even though now they are staying in a house where they are the guests of Marta who owns the house they still they still can't let go of their privilege they just can't stop treating her as if she is beneath them and so they keep talking to her as if she is one of the staff they keep asking her to do things for them they they plead with her they say to her listen Marta it's just not right it's not fair that you should have this fortune that's supposed to belong to us they they try to pressure her her to give up this inheritance that she has been given. They, they yell at her. They insult her. They threaten to turn in her mother to the immigration authorities. They treat her so awfully that by the end of the movie, we 
are absolutely cheering for Marta. We are absolutely hoping that Marta is going to be able to hold on to this inheritance that she has been given. We are hoping that all of those rotten children and grandchildren get what is coming to them. By the end of the movie, we are are cheering and rooting for the same sort of justice that we see in the story that Jesus tells this morning. So in this morning's gospel reading, we have one of the strangest and most unusual of all of the parables of Jesus. In today's gospel reading, Jesus tells a story, and the story goes like this. Jesus said, once there was a very wealthy man, and he lived in a great big house, and he had fine clothes, and every day he ate fine things. And at the end of his driveway, Jesus says, there was a gate. And just outside that gate, there lived a a poor man, a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And here's the first surprise in this story. In the Gospels, Jesus is constantly telling these stories. He's constantly telling parables. In the four Gospels, there are close to 40 parables of Jesus that were recorded and written down for us. And in those three dozen parables, in all of those stories about prodigal sons and good Samaritans and gardeners planting mustard seeds. In all 30-some of those parables, this is the only parable in which Jesus gives one of his characters a name. And the biggest surprise is that the person he gives a name to is not the rich man, but instead Jesus gives a name to Lazarus, the poor man. Why do you suppose he does that? Why does Jesus give Lazarus a name but not the rich man? Could it be because Jesus understands just how easy it is for poor people to become invisible? Could it be because Jesus knows the thing that we do when we walk down the street and we see a beggar and we look the other way and we pretend that that person isn't there? Could it be that Jesus gives Lazarus a name because he understands just how easily we forget things about poor people like their names and what country they immigrated from? Jesus says at the end of the driveway, just outside the gate, there lives a a poor man by the name of Lazarus. And every day Lazarus sits there outside the rich man's gate and he longs to fill himself with the scraps that fall underneath the rich man's table. In those days, there would have been an awful lot of food underneath a wealthy man's table. Back in those days, people who were wealthy did this this thing, this strange thing to show off how wealthy they were. If you were a wealthy man, you would have out on your table loaves of bread that weren't even there for eating. Those loaves of bread were there to be used as napkins. And when people would feast at the table of a wealthy person, they would use those loaves and scraps of bread to wipe their mouths and their faces and to wipe their hands. And then at the end of the meal, they would throw that bread under the table, that dirty mouth-wiping hand bread, they would throw it under the table for the dogs to eat. Maybe Lazarus can even see from his place at the end of the driveway. Maybe he can even see into the dining room of the rich man. Maybe every day he watches the wealthy man throw these scraps of dirty face washing, hand washing bread under the table and he longs to feed himself with that dirty face wiping, hand washing bread but the rich man never so much as sends a scrap of bread out to the end of the driveway for Lazarus. And then comes the next twist in the story. Jesus says, and then Lazarus died. And he was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. What does that mean, he was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham? In the time of Jesus... Many Jewish people believe that that when we die, we go to a place called, called Hades. 
And Hades is a sort of a, a place of waiting. It's the place where every soul will go and wait for the day of resurrection and the judgment of the living and the dead. And, and Jewish people in the time of Jesus believed that at one end of this place, at one end of the place of the dead, there's a great big party going on. They believed that Abraham, the father and the grandfather of all of the Jewish people, is throwing a great big banquet at one end of Hades. And all of the righteous, all of the saints are invited to come and sit at the table of Father Abraham. And just a few weeks ago in worship, we learned what that table and what that banquet would have looked like. Just a few weeks ago, back in December on a Sunday, we talked about how people in the time of Jesus didn't sit in chairs and eat at tables the way that we sit in chairs and, and eat at tables. In the time of Jesus, tables were, were low to the ground, and when people would eat, instead of sitting in chairs, they would sort of recline on cushions and pillows. They would prop themselves up on their left elbow, and they would eat with their right hand. And so picture Father Abraham sitting at the head of the table, propped up on his left elbow with his feet out behind him, eating with his right hand, and right in front of him, right in the bosom of Abraham, just in front of the chest of Abraham, is the seat that is reserved for the guest of honor at this banquet. Jesus says, Lazarus went and sat in the bosom of Abraham. He sat just at the right hand of Father Abraham. He was the guest of honor at the feast of the righteous in the place of the dead. This would have been shocking. This would have been shocking to the people who heard Jesus tell this parable for the very first time. People would have gasped when Jesus said the poor man Lazarus went and sat at the right hand of Father Abraham because in the time of Jesus, many people believed that if you were rich, it was because God must be rewarding you for being such a righteous person. And people believed that if you were poor, it was probably because God was punishing you for some sin that you hadn't confessed and you hadn't made your peace with God. And so when Jesus said the poor man, the beggar Lazarus, went and sat at the right hand of Father Abraham, people would have said, that's not right, Jesus. That's not fair. That's not how this is supposed to work. But then Jesus continued. Jesus says, and then, and then the rich man died. And he also went to Hades. But he was not invited to sit at the table of Father Abraham. Jewish people in the time of Jesus believed that at the other end of this place of the dead, at the other end of Hades, at the far end from Abraham's table, there was a great big furnace. And they believed that the wicked were forced to wait in this place of heat and torment until the day of resurrection. The rich man went to wait in that place of heat and torment and fire until the day of resurrection came. And the rich man, as he is there sitting next to that furnace, becoming parched and dried. He looks to the other end of Hades and he sees, he sees Lazarus sitting at the banquet table of Father Abraham. And so he calls out. The rich man says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here with a cup of water because it's hot over here and I'm getting thirsty. Do you see how hard it is even now for the rich man to wrap his mind around the change in his situation? Do you see how hard it is for him to let go of his privilege? The rich man never spoke to Lazarus when they were both alive and he's not about to start speaking to Lazarus now that they're both dead. The rich man doesn't speak directly to Lazarus. Instead, he goes straight to the top. He speaks directly to Father Abraham himself. The rich man is the kind of person who dies and finds himself in Hades and the very first thing he says is, I would like to speak to the manager. 
And notice that the rich man, the rich man still thinks of himself as somehow above Lazarus. He still expects that he can just snap his fingers and Lazarus will come running with a a glass of water like some kind of a heavenly waiter. And Father Abraham has to set him straight. Father Abraham tries to help the rich man understand where he is and what he is experiencing. And so Father Abraham calls out to the rich man and he says, listen. He says, what you are experiencing is God's justice. In life, you had all sorts of good things, and now now you are in a place of torment and deprivation. In life, Lazarus had nothing, and he had all sorts of evil, but now he is a good place, and and his, his belly is finally filled. This is the justice that God ordained before the universe was even created. And so the rich man, still not understanding his situation, tries to negotiate with Father Abraham. He says, okay, I see that you can't send me a glass of water, but, but please give me a favor. Do me this favor. Let me go back and warn my brothers. He says, I've got five brothers who are still living. I want to go back and tell them about God's justice so they don't make the same mistakes I made, so that they don't follow in my footsteps. And Father Abraham says, are you kidding me? He says, God has been telling you about God's justice from the very moment the world was created. God sent Moses to tell you about God's justice. God sent the prophets to explain to you God's justice. And if your brothers won't listen to Moses, and if they won't listen to the prophets, then they won't listen to anybody, not even if a man should come back from the dead. And suddenly in this moment, we realize that Father Abraham isn't just talking to the rich man. Suddenly we see that that Father Abraham is talking to us. Father Abraham is asking us the question, do we believe what Moses taught us about the justice of God? Do we believe what the prophets taught us about the justice of God? Do we believe the words of the one who came back from the dead, the one who was constantly saying that in God's kingdom the first will be last and the last will be first? The one who was always saying that those who are full now will be empty and those who are empty now will be full. The one who kept on saying over and over again, blessed are you poor, but woe to you rich. For it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Are we listening to Jesus even now as he says to us, there are immigrants in your community even now. There are beggars outside your gate even now. And learning their names and learning their stories and learning to see them as our neighbors and sitting at the table beside them is the only hope that we have of saving our own souls. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and wisdom to understand the words of Moses, the words of the prophets, the words of the one who came back from the dead. We pray that for us and we pray that in this place there would never be any invisible people. God, give us the courage to learn one another's names. God, give us a heart for learning each other's stories. And may we never see anyone as beneath us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.